Good morning, good morning, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Office Hours. My name is Mike Mamola, and I will be joined, I believe, momentarily by the great David Meltzer and David Moreno. Everyone, all three of us on the East Coast this morning, which is exciting. Uh, Dave out in New York City, hopefully get a chance to catch up with him and some others. So with that being said, excited to talk to Brett Smiley. Brett is also here in New Jersey. So this is this is a rarity, Brett. This typically doesn't happen. Typically, we have people from everywhere. Uh, we just had another New Jersey and sign on my partner and brother from another mother, Mr. David Moreno. David Brett is here in Jersey with us. Dave's in New York City. So we're all East Coast bound today. And we're about to learn a lot about sports betting from Brett Smiley at SportsHandle.com. So Brett, you and I had a chance to speak for a few minutes prior to uh, going live. And I was telling you how I don't know much about sports betting at all. And so I'm excited to speak to you. So Tell us what SportsHandle.com is doing and how it can help all of us with sports betting. Yeah, first of all, thanks for having me, uh, David. Good to see you and meet you. Uh, sports Handle is a website focusing on the sports betting industry, uh, regulation, consumer issues, legalization. You know, we're covering things such as, and here's David, um, legalization efforts such as in California, which failed pretty uh dramatically we'll, we'll get to that uh and uh we have a team of there's a couple other websites about uh 10 writers editors and uh this is our beat full time fantastic that's awesome right so um hey dave good morning good morning guys yeah or if uh, i should jump in and ask a question brett uh congrats on what you guys are doing at sportshandle.com i actually think it's a, a pretty cool uh name um it's got to be a story behind that. What's the, the deal with sportshandle.com and, and how does that apply to betting? Yeah, uh, there definitely is a bit of a story and it you know basically began with a, a blank chalkboard and what do we call this thing? Uh, we were, I think uh, my, I was pretty attached to the idea of above board sports. Uh, this sports handle was conceived around 2017 prior to the Supreme Court case uh, that led to the massive expansion and uh, sports obviously is sports and handle is an, uh, an allusion to uh, uh, the phrase handle that refers to the total volume of betting. Uh, so when you, when you hear like, you know, X amount was, was bet this many billion in uh, New York, it'll be, uh, this was the handle. So we just kind of combined sports and handle and went empty vessel as opposed to, uh, you know, something a little more granular uh, and it's it's taken. No, I was yeah, just going to say one of the things that I, I constantly get asked about in this area because I've done a lot of work with, with sports betting on the legalization side. And, um, how do you envision um, some level of mo monitoring for esports betting, given that? There's so many young users that are being bet on, and also obviously so many uh, young viewers. And, and where do you see that shift going, and, and how can that space be better regulated? Yeah, that's uh, a good question. Right now, it's I think it's only legal in New Jersey esports e betting. Uh, it's been conversations in a lot of states, and uh, one of the main issues you alluded to it's a lot of young people and people who are under 17 or even under. Uh, 14 who are competing and uh, you know just like Olympics you can't be betting on competitions involving minors so uh, frankly I don't have the question I think slower is probably better you know let's people ought to really 
understand and familiarize with the space before we invite anything that could, uh, you know, introduce gambling to, to people who are young athletes, young people. And uh, Brett, uh, thank you for your patience. Appreciate being here and uh, obviously work uh, in synergy with the industry itself and have pre-legalization uh, in any state. And now it's uh, exponential uh, with the acceptance. But one of the things that I'm looking at with people like you is there's a content creator middle class. And we can get very specific. And a lot of people uh, are facing resistance from themselves in two different areas. One would be uh, the patients uh, to build that audience, and, and you partnered with the U.S. Bets team, uh, which I've been using for years as well, uh, to help accelerate uh, awareness to the content that you create. Um, but the other size is that we have kind of this idea of, you know, how long it's going to take versus how big we want to be, and because I don't think people understand the size, scope, and scale of the total addressable market, the TAM, uh, they get caught and quit. Um, for you, give us a little bit of insight that can help not only uh, content creators, but entrepreneurs with how an audience builds today versus you know putting something, you know, a show on Bravo or on one of the big three networks 30 years ago, today it's a completely different animal. It's a content creator's middle class that will be the most successful because even a thousand engaged people uh, creates you know, quite an opportunity, let alone a hundred thousand, let alone even one million. You don't need to have a hundred million uh, in your community. So for you, what are some of the strategies that you would suggest that other content creators or entrepreneurs uh, take in order to effectuate building an audience to be what I call the middle-class content creator like you are? Good question. There's, uh, I could certainly speak to my experience and uh, I think number one or first and foremost would just be, be authentic. Uh, when you're dealing in, in sports betting, you know, some people are trying to jump in and you have stations like out there in, in California, KBO, they just flip the switch from, uh, a news channel like overnight they're now they're now sports betting and you know that's a totally different audience that they're going to be trying to engage and and i guess convert uh but to your point we started just focusing on the news and the regulation and people were were hungry for for that information very early uh in the process and you know we used uh people who are journalists such as myself and, and cover the industry and just tried to present information that you know people were really interested and, and hungry for. There's different like segments of this, like Pat McAfee, the former Colts punter, he's on and he had his his audience was already you know over a million and he's doing a, a show daily, bringing on obviously Aaron Rodgers and uh, he's got a former linebacker AJ Hawk on there and he's partnered with FanDuel. So uh, they were already talking about sports betting and now we're just doing it with with a, a legal brand. So. Uh, certainly monetizing it a little bit differently. Um, there's shows, there's some people on, on Twitch who are covering it and, and doing the, the micro betting. Mike and I talked a little bit about that previously. And, and Jake Paul, he's got a very uh, engaged audience and I'm sure is um, 
having some of these discussions as well. Uh, but but in a nutshell, just be authentic. Don't try and uh, pretend. Uh, don't try and pretend that you're uh, a long-term winning better because most likely you're not. Um, that that would be my my name. Statistically, I think you're correct. Mathematically, yeah. I would almost guarantee you're not if you're a long-term better. There's very few that get to 50.1%, uh, which is all it takes to be a successful better. Yeah, a little bit higher, actually. More like a 54% because uh, the, the house built in advantage, uh, a minus 110. So oh, good point. It's even harder. Yeah. And right. I think that's a really good takeaway. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, no, I agree. Right. I think uh, in addition to us all being on the East Coast today, one of the other things that we have in common is that we're all attorneys or recovering attorneys, um, which is also a rarity. And so when we talk about sports betting, you know, when, when people bet on sports, they look at the data, they look at the, the statistics, they look at the history of the team and the players and make a calculated calculated wager on who's going to win to hopefully win some money. But you made what is arguably the biggest bet of your life in a career change. And so I'm interested in knowing, because I know from my personal perspective and Dave and Dave and others like us who have done that, what things you looked at and gave you the belief, the confidence and everything else necessary, because there is no history there. You can't go back and look at statistics and say, I'm likely to succeed because of this, or maybe you are. So what is it that gave you the ability to make that most important bet of your life? In law school. And then that's, that's funny that all four of us have that, uh, background uh, at, at one point or another, but uh, immediately after college, I graduated 2004. I didn't really know what else to do with myself. So I went to law school because that seemed like a good thing to do at the time. And uh, supposedly you could do anything with a legal degree, which is true, but you can also do that without the debt. Um, <laughs> second year law school. Where'd you, go, where'd you go to law school, Brett? Syracuse. Yeah. Awesome. Second year, I mean, I already knew this was not the path a career for me, but I was kind of pot committed. So I continued and ended up practicing litigation for not even two years, uh, uh, Midtown East. Anyhow, um, that was like 2009. And this was like, uh, the most recent recession. Uh, and, uh, I quit, I started freelance writing. I just knew I couldn't do it anymore. I'd always done some writing and blogging on the side. Uh, and that was what energized me. And, um, kind of gave me purpose uh just can i ask a follow-up to that dave just quickly yeah, so we got two minutes. preparation right because there are some financial constraints i know for me it was great to go into my office and, and pick up a paycheck every every other thursday that was on my chair when you go to decide to become a journalist or whatever it is you're going to do you have to also figure out how am i going to pay the bill so what was there was some preparation involved in that no yeah i was basically uh you know uh forestalling on uh repayment of some of my student loans doing income-based repayment uh, tapping into savings. I had reached the point where I feel like my, my physical health and certainly mental health was, uh, it was taking a toll. Um, so I, I felt I needed to make a change and, uh, I was only 26 at the time and, you know, didn't have a, a kid or, or anything, or any of those constraints that may have limited my ability to, to make a jump, but I felt I needed to, to do it. And I did, fortunately it, it worked out. It, put a fire under my behind, you know, when you're leaving a, leaving that paycheck for sure. Yeah. It just shows you how old uh, we are when Mike's this to help people out. Uh, a paycheck is something when he said <laughs> they left a paycheck on his chair, it's like this physical piece of paper yeah. that is a currency itself. You, it's, it's a note. So uh, yeah, it's a, uh, 
at least you don't get into the blame, shame, and justification game when you, you leave a profession, right? You, you make your own decisions to leave the law professions like Mike, Dave, and I. Well, Dave's back, so he doesn't he, – he, he's, he, he's a recovering recoverer. <laughs> so, yeah, he, he went back to, to the dark side of money. But uh, it, it's all right. We still love him. Anyway, uh, you are just going to keep building uh, the, the community. Stick to it. Stay consistent and persistent. Uh, I want to point out that I know there's a lot of entrepreneurs that give up a lot. And I know you didn't have kids or a wife or, or, or any of those things. Um, but it takes, you know, great courage. Uh, you know, I have a friend, Mike Tannenbaum. I do a show with him on XM Sirius uh, in uh, on Instagram and, and Twitter, he uh, he talks about being lucky. You know that that guy had a hundred thousand dollars of law loans. I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're old, that was a lot. And he made six hundred dollars a month working for the Saints. And trust me, everybody, you know, thought it was crazy, uh, including me. I went where the money was at as well. I sold Westlaw, so. You guys both know there's good money in that. Um, anyway, Brett, uh, thank you so much for giving us a little bit of insight on sportshandle.com, on the industry in general. Thank you for your patience uh, for allowing me to be a little bit tardy. And uh, people, check out, if you want the latest and greatest of the industry's news on legislative and regulatory developments in the world of sports and gambling, that's the place to go, sportshandle.com. Brett Smiley, notable co-founder and editor-in-chief of sportshandle.com. Thanks for joining me. We'll have you back on other stuff. Thanks for your insights. Thanks for having me, guys. Take care. Have a good, good weekend. To see you, Brad. Thank see you. you. Awesome. Well, I'm late, and we dumped Dave. So we started, <laughs> we started ragging on lawyers, and uh, there there goes Dave and his uh, Bahamas uh, internet connection. Oh, uh, yeah. It always amazed me. I can't get an internet connection in midtown Manhattan, like, you know, and meanwhile, when I was in Africa in the Masamara, they had the full five bar service. <laughs> so funny, I got zebras walking by me with no problem. Uh, anyway, <laughs> it's so good. We got Mark here uh, waiting in the wings. Mark Ross Smith is here, founder of the industry news site Travel Data Daily and CEO of Status Match, statusmatch.com. Uh, um, Look, we, we perfect set. I don't know how my team does this, but they got like this great thematic. I know we get a lot of requests to be on the show, but I don't know how I, in a matrix of information, how they get such complimentary people on and to have Mark Ross Smith here. Welcome to Office Hours. Hey, guys. Great to be here. Thank you. Well, I can't think of, you know, between gambling and, you know, changing, relocating, downgrading, upgrading. Uh, you know, there probably couldn't be two greater places or information that people want want to know uh, outside of what they're doing. What are some of the critical business issues uh, that you see today on your two uh, sites in in the industry? What, what are the most critical business issues today that people are facing? So we focus primarily in the travel business. We work a lot with major airlines and hotel brands. Uh, probably the biggest thing we're seeing these days is is what's called calling the status cliff, right? So in the pandemic, you know, a lot of people are flying, you know, got like their gold, their platinum status with airlines and hotels and stuff. And, uh, you know, airlines, they've been extending status for free for, for everyone for the last two years because, you know, border closures and lockdowns and all this kind of stuff. 
And so at the end of this year, there's, a, there's due to be about 50% of the elites in the world are due for a status downgrade, right? Like, oh my gosh, you lose your gold status. <laughs> Back to lining up with everyone else at the gate from now on. No more lounge for you. No more champagne before the flight. Uh, so there's, there's about 25 million people around the world that are due for a downgrade in the coming months. And, you know, for airlines, this group of people represents about 15% of their total revenue, the ticket sales for airlines. And so uh, we're sort of in the middle of all that where we're helping airlines keep these customers, keep them engaged so they don't disconnect out of the system. Uh, you know, this is a kind of a once in a lifetime thing where airlines are, they've just got this cliff of people that are about to drop off it. Like they're, they're most, they're single most valuable customers. Like if you've, if you've got like a, a gold or a platinum status on airline, you're in the top 2% of global travelers right now today, right? These people mm. spend a lot of money. And, you know, if you lose these customers, you're in trouble. Smart. So if you, Mark, <clears throat> um, good, good, good afternoon, I guess, where you are, right? Uh, good morning to everyone. Um, what you do, I think, is fascinating because it allows people to not only maintain their status. So if we're gold status on, on one airline, we're not on another. Is there a mechanism by which you, through, through Travel Daily or through Status Match, allow people to transfer that to other airlines or to other hotels so that they don't lose it, like you said? Because that is important, right? I know that I specifically make a decision on which airline I'll be flying based on what I'll be getting based on my status. So how, how useful, not how useful, but how feasible is it to be able to transfer that to other airlines so we have more options? So I guess that's where we come in. We kind of sit in the middle as, as like this technology platform that enables that for airlines. You know, traditionally, if, if, you, if you want to try a new airline, right? Because you know, you've got gold status with one airline, and you don't want to start from the bottom with another airline. You want those perks. You want the first class check-in. You want to skip the. You want to be first in line to board the aircraft, so you get some of you know get your bags and those overhead bids. So you don't want to miss out on that. So you kind of want what it's referred to as a status match, right? So that matching your status from one airline to another. And this is the most popular, cheapest, fastest way for airlines and hotels to acquire new customers. Uh, traditionally, there's been no process behind there. There's no technology. It's, it's literally just send an email. You know, it's, you know, someone at the airline and say, "Hey, I'm gold with Delta. Can you give me to do it with your airline?" Uh, and maybe in a month, they get a reply to their email, and they say, "No, nah. <laughs> well, yep, yeah, or whatever." And so it's just a really, just a really poor customer experience. So we've effectively built this technology platform that uh, puts people through a process really you know seamless easy you got tracking numbers and stuff so you can sort of see when you're going to get upgraded because you know to your point if if you've got status with one airline or a hotel or car rental or cruise line for that matter you're very loyal to that brand right because you know how things work you know where the lounge is you know how boarding works you know you're going to get good treatment you might get an upgrade as well you know you get it treated really well so if another airline wants your business yeah they've got to give you the same thing off the bat Right? Otherwise, why would you why would you switch your loyalty? You're not there's no incentive to do so, right? So we're out there trying to give out status like candy to everyone to incentivize them to, to bring them over to a new airline, try something new, and you know maybe you know have a good brand experience. Thank you so much for, for what you do because I, I, <laughs> I do. David's ears are perking up. He goes, I didn't know this thing existed. This thing right. you know, loyalty captain. Yeah, man, because we're all like slaves to a brand, right? Because of this, these status things. And I can give a story. Just two weeks ago, I was flying. I flew, I fly United mostly because I have status on United, right? We all fly where we have status. 
So I flew to Raleigh for work, and then I had to be in Miami the same night. Well, United didn't have a direct flight to Miami. So I flew American, and I'm sitting there standing on a check-in line, waiting for about 45 different levels of people. And then I swear they said, like, homeless people and everybody else. And then there goes me with my bag getting on the plane. I felt like a second-class citizen. And in my head, I was like, don't they know I have status on United? Why am I being treated like this, right? Like, it's like a first-world problem to have. Um, but what, one of the things you said that was really interesting is about the hotel and the cruise line and the rental car, because uh, I just learned about this. Are we going to see more uh, comprehensive uh, working with hotels and airlines together? So if you got status with Marriott, you can transfer it to United or to American or vice versa? Yeah, we're going to see heaps more of this because they like to they like to share customers, right? Because they're not, you know, hotels and airlines, they're not really competing against each other for your, you know, your share of wallet, right? You got to fly somewhere, you got to stay somewhere. They kind of go hand in hand. And if one, if an airline can sort of push business to one specific hotel chain or, or vice versa, you know, this actually works out really well for, for both of them. We've seen a, a bunch of these kind of deals. United Marriott obviously have their deal. We've seen uh, uh, core hotels. They're big, pretty big in Europe and Asia uh, doing deals with, you know, Qatar Airways and these kind of guys. Um, you know, Air France, KLM, Accor. You know, th there's a bunch of these sort of coming out more and more. And, you know, if you've got status with an airline, it's pretty cool because suddenly you've got all these other shiny cards from all these hotel chains in your wallet. And you've got a choice of where you stay then. You go, you might have like a, a Hilton Gold and your, your Bonvoy Platinum or whatever. And you kind of look at it and go, where am I getting the most benefits? I'm going to stay there. That's who's getting my money. And, you know, what's so interesting is you've taken it to the next level. I talk about a stage theory where we capture what we do. We could be a pimp popper. We could be a status matcher. We could be a lawyer. Uh, specifically, you know, you could be a PI lawyer. You could be an IP lawyer. But if you capture what you do, modify it correctly, amplify it, and perpetuate it, you can actually be an industry expert. And you've done such a great job as well by, in your industry, you know, building your own brand build as a speaker, you know, cutting through the noise uh, being able to be an expert in the space. Um, a lot of people don't see themselves as a brand, even though they create their own brand. And I think this is one of the coolest ideas I've seen, by the way, uh, which, you know, I've re very rarely during the show am I texting myself the, the site to make sure I don't forget it because <laughs> I do so many interviews. Because uh, I'll be with Dave the next, it will be the, the next. Dave's probably on his phone right now signing up. I, I can see him. I literally am. You know me so well. <laughs> I told you if that's not if that's not a testimonial right there, I don't know what is. But be, beyond having you know just an incredible business, you are an industry expert. Um, what does that transition look like for you? Because I coach a lot of people like you that you know are good at what they do and they don't realize they have a huge opportunity not only to build their brand but to get more business by stepping on stages and you do such a great job as a speaker and you're extremely, you know, interesting and entertaining, but while you're on stage, you're actually selling. Totally. Are. I, I love being on stage. I don't know if I'm any good at it, but I like it. <laughs> That's the point, right? So yeah. a couple of people. I, know, I, know how that feels, time, man. So. I, I step on stage and the more money you make doing it, the, the, the more you'll question whether you're good at it or not. Trust me. Someone paid you a hundred grand to speak. You're like, am I really that good? <laughs> I'll take a hundred grand to speak. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, 
Um, it, feels no, I actually think it feels good, but there's a lot of pressure that comes with it. I, I, I will tell you. I think it's fabulous for business, for self-promotion. In fact, I'll, I'll show you something interesting. I've had the most success in speaking and, you know, podcasts, TV, radio, all this kind of stuff. When you're not selling anything, you're just talking about new ideas, new ways to do things, new cool concept, you know, thought leadership type stuff. Like it's kind of like in, in the core of what you're selling is in the middle and you talk about everything else around it, but not the thing you're trying to sell. And I, th I think that has worked really well for our business. It's worked pretty well for my brand, I think. Uh, and that way you're, you're adding value to the audience. You know, you're giving something that they can use, they can take away, they can, to David signing up to the site right now, you know, to, something they can do. Um, uh, I think it's just about providing value and without just, you know, spamming really what you, what you love to do, but it, it's, it's actually counterintuitive. You don't want to promote that. You want to promote everything else except the thing that you're actually there to promote. And because of that, I find it successful. So, Mark, is um, is there a status that people have to have in order to use status match? Do they have to be gold? Star? Do they have to be or because most people don't even understand, not most, but some people don't even understand what we're talking about. I remember years ago when I was traveling with a colleague and we had to go. We were in Chicago. We were supposed to come back to New York and all of a sudden we had to go somewhere else. And so we're switching our flights and, and I couldn't find something. He got right on and he was right in and he said, aren't you a smart traveler? And I said, what's a smart traveler? And he explained to me, you have to set this account up. You have to go through this. You have to be consistent. You have to be loyal. You have to. And so that's what it takes. What do people have to do initially to, to be able to start building that credit, that status, so that they can get to that gold star, so that they can use companies like yours? There's a, there's a few ways to do it. <clears throat> the obvious way is just condense all your travel with one brand, right? So that means stay at the same hotel chain or all their partners, you know, or fly the same airlines. You know, for example, if you said, look, I want to, build status with American Airlines, right? You start flying American, you start flying, you know, Alaska, they're partners with them in the Wild World Alliance, British Airways, Cathay Pacific, all these kind of guys. So if you stick within the alliance, you can start building, you know, the status more rapidly than splitting your business between, you know, one American flight, then a Southwest, then a JetBlue. Like this is, you know, you're going to have a few miles all over the shop and they're not really building anything with, with one, yeah? Uh, so that's, that's like what we'll call a traditional way start spending with one brand. Um, th there's a couple of offers out there. Um, you know, some islands run like fast track promotions sometimes, you know, where you do, you take, I'm making up, you know, five or six flights, spend a couple of thousand bucks and they can fast track you to, you know, a gold status or something like that. Uh, these are sort of sporadic. They come up every so often. Um, that, that's the other way to get there. Um, sometimes it's credit card promotions. You know, you apply and get the right credit cards. They have status with them. Uh, a lot of credit cards have hotel status. Uh, which is, is pretty pretty handy. A lot of Amex cards, uh, so it's you know it's worth checking out. You know, some of the, sometimes the annual fee on these credit cards is worth the benefits you get. You know, forget 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 about your credit limit. Forget about a lot. Just just, just buying these benefits uh, sometimes can be really valuable, uh, especially if you know you're if you've got free check bags or you know some upgrades or you know skip the line. Sometimes it can be really worthwhile. Amazing. Well, we all, I signed up while we were on the phone as well here. So uh, you're doing your job and uh, I love uh, how you sell without selling. And that's definitely a value in everything that you do in interviews and speeches, et cetera, by just having a great business and explaining it, which then attracts people to sign up uh, like the three of us. Uh, and it is what, one real quick question. Is it possible 
uh, if you're you know someone like me that goes cross and is platinum in some, gold in others, can you get the? Is that like a way as well? Can you trade up if you're already gold in something, but platinum or titanium in the other? Do do they have those type of exchanges? Generally, some airlines we work with, uh, like we've done a lot of with Frontier Airlines, um, they they had promotions where you could buy up, you know, so you kind of match platinum for platinum, and then you could sort of pay a bit of extra fee and get something extra. Uh, that was a one-time sort of thing. Pretty successful. Um, I'll share something really interesting. I like this is sort of brand new. I've never told the world this. My business partner's going to kill me. So <laughs> we work on something called status stacking, right? So the idea is you've got platinum one airline, you got platinum another airline, stack them together. What would that get you combined with something else? You know, that'd be pretty right. cool because you can imagine if you got platinum with two different airlines, an airline. C over here says, we'll give you a diamond titanium, you know, something even better, right? And they give you that. I can take a guess which airline you're going to try next. Yeah. It won't be the platinum ones. <laughs> I've heard of credit stacking now. We got status stacking. That's amazing. Uh, thank you so much, Mark. Really, really valuable, especially for the three of us. Uh, I do 200 days a year on the road, uh, which is uh, why I, I, I'm in a whatever I am in a hotel right now. So anyway, <laughs> but I'm titanium here, so it's working out for me. We'll all be reaching out to you, Mark Ross Smith. I'm sure everybody will be too. And uh, he's an exceptional speaker. Don't let him tell you any differently. Thanks for joining us on Office Hours. Thanks, guys. It's been great. Thanks. Great. This is the first time anybody awesome. got to sign up for things like live on the air without even asking. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's so good. <laughs> Uh, all right, uh, Wayne is here, waiting patiently in the house. Wayne, scribbling notes, fast as he can. Yeah, he's signing up too. I'm in the back. I'm just listening. All to the that. green room. Yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, I have two girls it's that play so competitive volleyball, so and we travel a lot. My wife and I are always traveling. You know, Cincinnati. Uh, Atlanta, all the time we're traveling. So that was pretty interesting. Nice. I love it. Well, so is Melody Clouds as well, uh, which had you know, extraordinary uh, amount of hours in audiobooks. Uh, give us a little bit of background on, you know, that audience. Who's utilizing Melody Clouds today? You know, it really shocked me when I went to my Google Analytics and found out who my real customers were, who the, who was touching it, who was actually, you know, using it. I, it blew my mind. I mean, I knew that it was important for me. Um, I have uh, tinnitus or tinnitus uh, ringing in my ear. I, I see some heads nodding. I mean, you know that it can be drive you. It will drive you crazy. And um, so what I did was when I discovered binaural beats that's when I was like, whoa, 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 this is crazy good. And um, that was on June 1st. We bought the domain and now we're 300,000 audio files in. And we're huge. Yeah. And, and, and what does that audience look like? So, sorry, Mikey. Yeah. So it, I thought soccer moms. I thought, you know, hey, we're going to. But it, it's really students. It's uh, men. I'm overwhelmingly um, on men, um, and the men are from 25 to 65. So that's really what it's shaping up to be like. And a lot of them are um, in music, 
uh, music and um, engineering for whatever reason. Good morning, Wayne. So Good morning. with regard to Melody Clouds, first of all, congratulations, Thank incredible you. success. And it, it's like our, our previous guest, right? When you have something fantastic, that product or that service speaks for itself and, and you will generate success. And so here with Melody Cloud, providing what, what I think is arguably one of the most beneficial things to humanity, which is healing through music, education through, through various forms, it's miraculous, right? And so we, we've known for a long time that music, sound, frequency, vibration has the ability to heal. It's been used by shaman and tribal leaders, ancient civilizations throughout history. And somehow we've gotten away from that. So, so good on you for bringing it back and letting us know that we can feel we can. I remember reading a study that said it was a Harvard study that said uh, they were able to demonstrate a reduced perception in pain by 28 percent when, when there was a harp that was played in the ICU units, which is incredible. So, so now with what you're doing with solfeggio beats or solfeggio with binaural beats and all of these other things, what is it in your opinion that's happening that's making you get so much traction that's giving you the kind of success that you're, that, that you're fortunately getting? Simple. Yeah. Awareness. You know, going out and telling people, hey, listen, you do not have to take a pill to get to sleep. I can knock you out in about five seconds with a binaural beat that is going to drop you into a REM sleep and you're going to wake up refreshed and you're not going to have any kind of um, side effects. I mean, <laughs> the, the side effects from some of these things that you're taking. I mean, I know people that take Benadryl to go to sleep. <laughs> not good, man. Not good. Not good. No, yeah, you're doing that, don't. Yeah, neither is drinking or smoking dope, so those as well. <laughs> right. Yeah, so that. And, and look, you, you said it, you know, Mike, it, we've known for a long time, okay, that music, that is how we change our mood. Our tagline is take control of your mood. You go into church, if it's a uh, organist that's playing, it's a very somber, very reverential, everyone knows to lower their voice. You go into a church in the South and they are playing praise music. Your hands immediately go over your head. You know, hey, it's time to get our praise on. So, you know, it, 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 every, it works, you know, the, um, to really elevate our mood or to, you know, calm us down. Wayne, I'm going to ask the question for the, the less enlightened folks on the panel, uh, i.e. not Dave Meltzer, not Mike Mamola. What yeah. are binaural beats? I, I know I'm not the only person that doesn't know no, what it is. you are definitely not. Yeah. So a uh, binaural beat is two frequencies, <laughs> two frequencies, one going in each ear. The point of that is to have your brain match a frequency or generate a frequency between those two frequencies. Um, Mike was talking about pain. That they, they are doing a lot of work with PTSD patients, um, a lot of uh, depression. We have binaural beats that can stop your grief. So people that are despondent, that are uh, maybe they're um, harming themselves or whatever, we have the ability now that you can go in and stop them from feeling that for whatever brief period of time just to give them a break from how how they're grieving. That was huge to me. Yeah. So it, it's amazing. What are some of the other, you know, obviously 
when you have, you know, hours and hours of, of sophageo, binaural beats, guided meditation. Um, but are there other things that you found through all the great gurus, shamans and yogis? Like, for example, I'm always wondering, I fly so much as indicated by the status stacker that we had before. Right. Um, I, I noticed not just me, but other people, there's certain points of a, of, of a flight that you fall asleep or, or get into the same state as I do through meditation or binaural beats that I utilize. So for example, runway for whatever reason, going off on the runway, I, I immediately, no matter how much rest I have, it puts me out or within the last 15 minutes of a flight coming down, are, are there other things beyond, you know, the, the norms that you have found that could put us into a place of recovery? For sure. I mean, like uh, taking a long trip of any kind, um, like driving, um, we have um, beats that are basically around putting people in the zone or focus. And I get a lot of people from, you know, that drive truck or make, you know, drive long term or, or long distances are like, wow, man. I mean, I can go 40 percent, you know, 20, 40 percent further because I'm listening to this. But it's it's really in getting into that rhythm. You know, we're talking about these rhythms that we get into, and that's really what it all what it amounts to: getting yourself into that whatever zone, whether it's focus, whether it's sleep, whether it's um, happiness. Give me another example: when you go to work out, you you do not listen to classical music when you go in to get your pump on. Okay, you go listen, you, you pick up the ACDC, you pick up the, you know, uh, heavy metal or the rap that is really going to get your blood flowing. That's what we're talking about. Wayne Winner, I have a question, but just a quick footnote to what you said about binaural beats. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think in order to get the effect from binaural beats, we can't, it's, you can't listen to it on a speaker, right? It's not ambient background sound. We have to have earplugs. No, now I am finding a lot of people that once you've trained your brain, you are able to pick those two separate um, um, beats up. Now, you're right. The traditional way is put some headphones in. That's kind of where solfeggio comes in because solfeggio is one. So if you're having trouble with binaural beats and, and the reaction to that, then moving to a solfeggio beat. But yeah, you're right. Traditionally, Binaural beats, one in each ear, so you would need uh, headphones to introduce those frequencies separately. So, so my question is, do you have a recommended procedure as to when people should, like Dave has a winding down program. You know, I have, a, I listened to binaural beats this morning. It's part of my winding up program to get things going during meditation or after meditation. Because what we're talking about here really is is energy, right? Everything we're we're creatures of energy and, and the yep. entire universe and, and all of that. It's just frequency. So if we can modify those frequencies, we can change the resonance so that we can resonate with happiness or resonate with each other. Is there a benefit to doing this in the morning, to doing it at night, to doing it throughout the day, or a combination? Okay, so I would say combination, and I would also say that every single person is different. So just like you pointed out, Dave likes to wind down and that's this time that he's able to, you know, kind of uh, resonate with this or, or, you know, pick this up. He has time to do it. You, on the other hand, wake up in the morning and you, hey, it's time. Let's let's get our day going. 
So, which is a great thing too, because just like if the little blue pill doesn't work on everyone, so they got to find something else. So you've got to find, you know, every single one of us is different. And so you got to find your own, so even to the frequency. Some people work with a good 140, 174 hertz. Some people, they don't get it. Yeah. So I think I had some uh, co-host issues with the baby. But uh, so what advice do you have for, for, for those that are just completely new to meditation? And, and Dave and Mike are probably like, yeah, Dave, how can you have been new to meditation for like 10 years now? Because uh, I'm still struggling with it. For those that are new to meditation, how can we really use some of these methods to, to improve our practice? So um, th that, thank you for that question. That's very cool. Um, we have just uploaded um, probably about 3,000 hours of guided meditation. And so a good guided meditation, someone that is going to kind of take you by the hand and lead you to the result that you're looking for. Um, that it, I would be the first thing to, and I'll tell you something funny. So the first time I really got it, in, got into meditation, I'm, I'm army. I, you know, I spent eight years in the military. I'm thinking, okay, this woo woo, you know, uh, shaman, uh, chicken feet and shaking feathers, you know, this isn't going to, all of a sudden I got it and man, it made a huge difference in my energy level and my ability to focus on um, certain things. So yeah, it, it, it's, it's, I love it, man. I do not go very long at all without getting in there and getting back in that zone. Well, you know, Wayne, what I love most about it is that it is customized to individuals. I always say our frequencies are neighborhood and not everybody's in the same neighborhood. Not everybody, we have to meet people where they're at. And I think Part of the time is you go to different apps and different solutions. Uh, they're not for everyone. It, it just doesn't work. You know, I trace calligraphies. That doesn't work for everyone. Uh, and I, what I love about what you're doing with Melody Clouds is you, no matter who you are, you can find something that does work. Uh, and at the time, activity, whether it be traveling, whether it be working out, whether it be unwinding or getting up, uh, whatever it is, uh, it's the breath of what you do and how you do it that's going to continue the success that you're having i suggest everybody trying uh melody clouds melodyclouds.com find your beat find your frequency at melodyclouds.com take charge as they like to say of your own mood and you can do that with melody clouds thanks so much wayne altman for joining us we've got to have you back keep up the great work hey thanks a lot man it's been a pleasure it's great meeting you guys Thank you, Wayne. I tell you, two two for two on wanting to sign up. Uh, yeah. So it's really good. All right, uh, we got a cleanup hitter uh, waiting in the wings, Brian uh, Barletta. He is here, partner at Sounds Profitable, and it's not the melody sounds anymore. Sounds Profitable is another great complimentary uh, cleanup hitter here. My team's done an exceptional job of thematically putting together the best of the best. And uh, he has a great content uh, platform to help people uh, with the millions and millions of podcasters and, and content creators out there. Brian, welcome to Office Hours. Yeah, thanks for having me. 
you know, about almost six years ago at the Super Bowl, uh, this guy, uh, they wanted to introduce me to this guy. His name was Gary V. And I remember I was meeting with his brother about a sports agency that they were starting, Vayner Sports. And I asked, what's a Gary V? And I, I met what a Gary V was. And a lot of people in the entrepreneurial space know what a Gary V is. And uh, he talked about the sounds of profitability. And being a almost 50 year old at the time, I was quite resistant to the sounds of profitability, uh, understanding you know, how media was going to work in the future. I was stuck in the past because I'd been so successful with media and entertainment in the past. I thought, once again, with ignorant arrogance, I must know something about this and how could this Gary Vee thing know more than me? And uh, when he told me about podcasting, I told him I have a syndicated radio show across the country with the MVP of a World Series and multiple other superstars. There's already 200,000 podcasts. Why would I start one? <laughs> and I'm so glad that this Gary Vee guy uh, convinced me how big the media side of things would be in content creation. Uh, for you, where was that epiphany? Uh, because your entire business is based off of the profitability of those sounds, the collection of the media properties. Uh, properties. But I imagine coming from you know, ad sales in media space that you came from, there had to be a point where you were resistant to believing that you know you'd end up where you are today. Yeah, I, I mean, I started my career in, in ad tech and uh, as a product manager, uh, sales engineer, all of that stuff. And I was helping a lot of people behind the scenes on how it worked or getting them set up for new products and services that depending on what company I was at. And I had the opportunity to kind of to flip the script and be the person educating people, be a personality on it and create content for those people to consume where I saw there were holes. Uh, it was about two years ago. We, we just took the chance at it, right? Like I, I didn't think it would work. I thought it, we would barely get a few hundred people to sign up to consume that information. But what I found is there is a giant hole in that education and knowledge and people are hungry for it. People like yourself, I mean, with such great experience in other fields, when someone explains podcasting, it's easy for them to gloss over it, right? They don't, they don't explain enough of the detail. They don't catch on the things that make it relevant to you or the things that you're looking to get answered right then and there, they just bring it from their point of view. So being able to dive into that, I was, you know, I had a really great opportunity. I think it was a lot of timing. I think two years ago was real prime for that. I mean, we've doubled the number of podcasts in the database out there. And, uh, and yeah, that was really exciting. Brian, I remember hearing about 10 years ago, I was a huge Howard Stern fan for my entire life. And I remember listening to Howard he was interviewing Adam Carolla and, and Carolla was talking about this thing called a podcast and Stern was just riveting him. And he's drive. Are you crazy? If you want to be successful, you have to be on terrestrial radio, be a real broadcaster. Be a, and, and, he, and he didn't get it. And something clicked with me at the, for the first time with Howard. I said, wow, he's, he doesn't see the future, um, you know, because this is where we're going. It's that pivot that happens. And that pivot has happened. This is a real industry. If these are real businesses now. We see it. And Carolla was, was right. And others like him and, and others like him and, and people that, that are doing this at a high level now, like Dave and others. So my question is, aside from those kinds of juggernauts, what about the average person who says, you know what, I am going to start a podcast. Should they start realistically, like with most businesses, because they're passionate about it? 
or can they realistically say, you know, I'll, you know, if I do this, this, and this, I can expect to make a hundred dollars a week, or a thousand, or a million? How does that work? Like in terms of the business approach to doing it. Yeah, I think that if you just want to create content and make money off of it, I don't think that podcasting is that green field anymore. Like, I don't think you can decide that you're going to do another true crime or like tell the story of the first comic book you got and and go make enough money to like pay your bills. But I think that if you have a business, a podcast can be a great way to interview people that you want to interact with and can close other deal with, deals with. If you have your own um, products or services, I think it's a, a fantastic funnel, just like everything else. It allows you to create even more media off of it. So I think I think that for people who are already in business or looking to grow themselves, I think it's a really smart uh, mindset. But I, I don't think it's like just just start and you're not going to Joe Rogan luck it out anymore. It's not going to happen. But I think there's a lot of room now with all the major uh, you know, companies and podcasting laying off a lot of creatives to build that middle class of podcasting again, right? That individual who creates a really fantastic show, just one show, doesn't expand it into a network, pours their heart into it and probably makes great money as an individual. It doesn't have to expand into a large team or anything like that. I think that's going to rise again. And I think that will be less gate kept than what YouTube is right now or what all these other mediums are. And it's exciting. It, I, I think I think it takes a unique podcast perspective now when before I think Adam Carolla and Joe Rogan and a lot of these other people took a radio style and just brought it in there at the right time. And now we're also past the point where people are just like, yeah, half a million dollar for your IP. Let's see what we can do with it. We're, we're in a new era of podcast creation. Uh, Brian, have you seen a formula for, for those that don't have massive followings or booming businesses like Dave Meltzer and Gary Vee, uh, for those types of people to start a podcast and actually reach levels of, of monetization? Is there something that they're touching on that's, that's given them more visibility, more um, subscribers, more uh, listeners? Well, I, I mean, I think the truth is that the, the monetization aspect, if you just follow the flat path, is really tough, right? If you think the, the ab in, uh, industry average is around $25 CPM, uh, hey there, uh, it, it's around $25 CPM. So per thousand downloads, that ad unit will make $25. Let's say you have four ad units in an episode, that's $100 per thousand downloads, right? And that's if you sell out all of them. That's really tough. And when people start to think through that mindset and how little they make additionally for just a few more downloads, it starts getting them thinking outside the box. And I think that while there isn't a template to follow, I think that the people who need to get into podcasting to make money, the quicker they realize that math doesn't work for them and they look at other models, I think that's really where they hit their stride or they figure out how to go about it. Jordan Harbinger is a fantastic example of someone who does see the value in those downloads by pumping in $150,000 per month to grow his show because it turns around and helps him on the back end with the downloads and the advertising value that that brings to the table. So I think that there's a big middle area. And the best thing I can say there is be creative. There's a reason why people still do cost per acquisition ads. There's a reason why podcasting seems to be more about promoting who you are and your brand and getting you out there. Because if you have a dedicated 300 people who listen to your show and they buy five of them, buy something every time you have a new advertiser, that can be way more valuable than a $50 CPM. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up, Brian, because, you know, coming from someone who got in at the right time and had the right relationship capital in order to effectuate 
and also have the you know superpower of consistency, uh, which is also there. The biggest opportunities exist in the middle class, and whether it's as an expert, you know, I, I'm coaching people right now with their own expertise. You know, I, you know, take something from my past, like how to be a sports agent. I, I know one of the most common questions people ask me is. Hey, I want to be a sports agent. Can you help me? How do I do that? So I can easily now through Thinkific or Kajabi create a course and anyone that has that type of expertise can get an audience where 100 people a month will buy a $47 course on how to be a sports agent. Uh, they'll find the disposable income to do so. Well, you know, that's the middle class. When yeah. else have we had an opportunity to make $4,700 a month for a video that's perpetual that, you know, it's a common question, by the way, that ever since 2006, when I ran Lee Steinberg Sports Entertainment for 16 years, if I w would have understood this, right, 100 turns to 200 a month, turns to 300 a month, you know, my grandkids probably wouldn't have to work. And I think the same thing's true uh, as we look with a middle class perspective, you know, where can I use this platform? Is it just simply to, you know, play on people's egos to get to, uh, instead of having to spend a hundred grand on a sales force to get me in front of this executive, invite them to come on my podcast and, and have a meeting on my podcast. You know, it's, there, there's so many different ways. And Jordan's a friend of mine and, you know, that that's a great way to do it if you have the money, but also it's not to be money to advertise. Jordan actually has a business behind it he has a vending machine and yeah. uh, you know for me the importance as a last question you know finding the vending machine is as important as having the platform uh and so in the vending machine may just be an ego thing right i, I have a lot of my clients that i help and it, i i know their vending machine is i feel good because i have a podcast and i can tell people i have a podcast or the post-production content so how can you suggest as a last question, we've got a couple minutes, you know, people finding all the different vending machines that are available in, in, in a podcasting because you are the master of business of podcasting, but that vending machine, there's like a thousand different vending machines. Yeah. Well, let, let's, let's focus on one then the ego one you said, I, like, I want to just take a second on that because I think it's great. Um, you know, how many people do you see on Instagram posting a picture with their C it's their CEO pointing to like the billboard in Times Square, right? And how much did that cost? As a podcast, you can get in on that, right? There are people that you can pay to be on their show, or even if not, if it gets you another business deal or a relationship, or maybe they're an advertiser, if you have the right art, the right sound design, the right structure of your show, you get somebody on Fiverr or someone internal to your team to make smart clips for them great social media content the amount of companies out there that that are just desperate for solid content from an impartial individual that just lends their credibility to it even if it's small i mean it sounds probable as 7500 people read the newsletter 300 people read the podcast and i have people who are very interested in being on the podcast because it's a conversation with me and we get to amp up something that they're excited about and we get to make clips of it and then that their social team can use that then they can build it into articles that's to me, I think in the business space, that's absolutely the killer way to go, um, especially in this market, because of how many people have been laid off. These content teams are light. The marketing teams are light. If you as a third party can be that resource for an industry, I think there's a lot of low hanging fruit there because they still need to do it. 
They still have to be out there and you can be part of everybody's plan. Yeah, that sounds profitable to me and should sound profitable to others. Everybody check out soundsprofitable.com, uh, a strategic and tactical way of looking at the business of podcasting determined upon your own values and your own objectives, your own trajectory towards where you want to be. Podcasting will continue to grow and it's a great platform for a multitude of vending machines, a multitude of value and uh, leading the way and educating us in the space. Brian Bartoletta, thank you so much for joining us. Come back. We got lots to talk about. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Brian. Very, very we got, I, I would call this episode. We're going to do takeaways. I'm going to go. Just lost Dave for a second. Did you lose him too, Dave? Yeah, he's about to say something profound. Look how beautiful she is. I love the hair. Congratulations. She gets more beautiful every day. Thank you, um, Mike. Yes, I think we have him back. Are you there, Dave? Yeah, sorry. I was going to say I'm going to go first. Uh, real yeah. quick takeaway of the day for me is uh, inside scoop. You know, like nobody would know any four of our guests that were on here, but the value of having their inside scoop uh, can change all four of them change your life in a variety of different ways. And so uh, these middle class experts of content creation is so important to find the inside scoop for a very niche thing, you know, credit stacking or, you know, the sports regulation, uh, you know, the uh the bio neural like you know very specific things that that's uh what we're given here is the inside scoop and uh, i think all four of these people can change uh people's lives with what knowledge they have in a very 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 specific area absolutely dave and mine goes hand in hand with that with inside scoop which i love which is pay, pay attention to the things that you typically wouldn't pay attention to. And, and you'll, you'll be amazed at what exists. I was just talking to somebody about Colorado just passed the legalization of psychedelics following in Oregon's footsteps and things are starting to happen in the mental health industry. People stayed away from that because of their preconceived notions of what that was or not knowing about like Wayne was talking about binaural beats and solfeggio and the way that can help in healing. So Inside scoop, pay attention, intentionally try to learn things you would never pay attention to and see what comes from it. If you don't like it, ignore it, but it may open your eyes to a whole new world. I love it. I love it. Uh, mine is pretty simple and heals what you guys said. It's it's for those that are unhappy or don't love what they do, find something you love, become an expert at it, and you'll vibrate really just like every single person we had there today. And it's not always the obvious thing that you go after. It's some of those, like you said, those, those little things that people don't think about. And also, I want to say shout out and happy birthday to Mira. Today's Mira's birthday. Happy birthday, Mira. Hey, happy birthday, Mira. Yeah. Thanks, Thank guys. you for bringing our special guest as well, Dave. I know I was, uh, thanks for your patient technology. Way. I love spending my Fridays with both of you. I want to thank Mike Mamola, Dave Marino. Happy birthday, Mira. And uh, we'll be on training in an hour. It's takeaway of the week. Uh, love to see uh, you guys there. If not, enjoy your weekend. I'll see you guys soon. Thanks so much. See you soon. Bye. Yeah. Take care. All right, everyone. Training's in 59 minutes. Takeaway of the week. Come join me on every platform. Free Friday for training for over, wow, 23 years. And uh, if it's free, it's we. So it's free for all of us. Catch the replays if you missed it. Uh, training's on every platform. And uh, it'll be at 7 a.m. Pacific time, 10 a.m. Eastern time. 
Remember, everyone, be more interested than interesting. Be kind to your future self and do good deeds. We'll see you in about an hour. Take care.